and welcome back to another episode of Lost It Down. I'm your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me, the Pennsylvania man himself, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. Before we toss it to him, we want you to know that this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. Make sure when you go to TabEase.com, you put in promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that first order, as well as free shipping. T-A-B-E-A-S-E. Dot com promo code football for 20% off Wally it's hell week in your house I almost want to say I'll let you explain that a little bit for the listeners that aren't picking it up don't want to steal your thunder though but how are you how was your weekend most importantly how was your Sunday night I'm still in complete shock this is the most I've ever been proud of the Raiders in my entire life I was too young in 2003 to fully appreciate that I might not be back or at least see my team back until I was, what, almost 30? And even when they made it to the playoffs four years ago, it was kind of marred by Derek Carr's broken ankle on Christmas Eve. So this is realistically Raiders fans' first playoff game since 2003. What you were referencing is if you guys haven't picked up before, both sides of my family are diehard Bengal fans. I am the black sheep of the family. And now, I, I mean... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, you're, the, you're the black and silver sheep of the family. Let's get that right. You got it. It, it was laying right there in front of you on a platter. You're right. I was the silver and black sheep. So it, it's a miserable little time. I, I will say I'm lucky because my family and I, we all kind of have this agreement. We don't talk shit to one another unless you're talking shit. So I didn't hear from them when they beat the hell out of the Raiders the first time around. And even if it does come to an end, what a ride this year has been. I'm genuinely overwhelmed. So there's not going to be any rumblings of a Luke Lukashensky family road trip to Cincinnati on Saturday. I don't think any of us could do it. I'm not even to give you an idea. I'm watching this game three hours away from the closest family member. I have, we are all kind of in agreement that from four 30 until about eight 30 at night, we're not going to talk. And then even at that point, I'm probably, if the Raiders win, I probably won't say anything to them. I'll be like celebrating my own way, but in vice versa. But uh, yeah, we're, we're miles apart this week. Come on. You have to put a little salt in the wound going in. Literally you're going into the jungle of the Lukashensky household, all Bengals fans. Why? Come on, put a little salt to the wound, baby. I can't do it. They've been too nice to me when we've been terrible. So I kind of returned the favor. So It'll be quiet one way or another. I just hopefully end up on the right side of this. So not too many entertaining or ridiculous stories of, of the week in the NFL. Now, we we did have Black Monday has come, come and gone. For those of you who do not know, Black Monday is that first Monday after the regular season where we see a plethora of head coaches get fired if they did not get canned midseason like your boy Urban Meyer. Mike Zimmer and their GM in Minnesota both out nag and Ryan Pace, that GM in Chicago, are both out. Vic Fangio fired Sunday morning after his loss to Kansas City on Saturday. Brian Flores, the most surprising firing of this Black Monday. And quite frankly, one of the more surprising ones of probably the last five, six, seven years of the Black Monday. And then we have David Gettleman, who quote-unquote retired. We'll harp on that here a little bit. And Joe Judge, after a couple days of meeting with the front office and ownership with the Giants, they ended up parting ways with him, which quote-unquote parting ways. 
So we all know all these co- all these firings were happening. But Brian Flores, you know that's the number one topic circled on our rundown here of who we want to talk about. Before I kind of get into it, I want to open it up to you, Wally. What the hell is going on in Miami? God, I don't think they even know right now. I, it sounds like there was a little bit of a power struggle, but even so, with what Brian Flores has accomplished in his three years in Miami, I'm shocked that they decided to move on, especially when it felt like they won eight games this year in spite of their quarterback play. How's that go on Brian Flores? I, I can understand why people are pissed off, but now Brian Flores has become the hottest name on the coaching market. So in a weird way, I think in 12 months, Brian Flores is going to be sending flowers to Miami and happy he got out of that situation. They are going to be regretting that. And I don't even think it was going to take 12 months since taking over as a head coach, top 10 winning percentage. In the NFL. So only nine teams do quick math. That's 32 teams in the whole NFL. He's beating 22 of those teams in win percentage. Waited to the playoffs last year. Extreme upgrade. It's like they completely forgot who Adam Gase was and what it was like playing under him. Yeah, I get it. He took him to the playoffs. But how the, the Dolphins hell took him up? to the playoffs too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ryan Tannehill took him to the playoffs. That's what Ryan Tannehill is. It's just peak athleticism. It's like, wow, a white quarterback can also be mobile? Who the hell would have thought that? Ryan Tannehill. It's because he played receiver. It is ridiculous. And now I kind of want to – now we jump into the Gettleman New York Giants saga dumpster fire that they have there. Kind of spur of the moment question. Do you think that Brian Flores' firing from Miami could have been a result of why Joe Judge got let go a little bit later than some of these coaches typically do around this time of the year? Maybe New York's going to be making a push for him. My thing is, is if I'm Brian Flores, why would I take that job? Gettleman has single-handedly run that franchise into the ground. They have very little draft capital. They have very little spending money. And they don't have a franchise quarterback. Who in their right mind would step into that position? Especially after watching that previous head coach get fired after two years. I understand people don't think Joe Judge is a very good coach. And that may be true. But how do we really have a good idea after what Dave Gettleman supplied him? Because he ran a quarterback sneak in his 10-yard line on second and third down of the game this past weekend. We will get to that. Brian Flores is going to find a job very quickly. And I'm calling it right now because it's very easy to call. This is going to start a curse in Miami. They're going to be Jacksonville Jaguars-esque over the next 10, 15, potentially 20 years. It's going to be the Brian Flores curse. We'll all remember this moment. And wow, that Wally and Steve character on Loss of Down, they really know what they're fucking talking about. At that point, we might be running Barstool America, maybe take over a little bit of Russia. I don't know yet. We haven't gotten the blueprint quite yet. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there, which is a great segue into our NASCAR segment here where we like to speed up the tempo just a little bit and blow through these games that no one really gives a shit about. It's week 18. There's a lot of games that didn't really have playoff implications. And if they did, it was a one-sided playoff implication type deal. First game we had here, Kansas City at Denver. Game was a little bit closer than the 10.5 line was was predicting this to be. And Kansas City ends the season winning 9 of 10. But more importantly, what is up with Tyreek Hill going into this playoff run? Nine catches, 61 yards, and zero touchdowns over the last three weeks, Walter. See, I want to worry a lot about that. He hurt his foot going into the game, his heel, and you could tell he was laboring on it all game. So I think he'll be fine. That's not really a big deal. I thought it was more impressive, though, that they're the fifth team ever 
to have 12 wins four straight years in a row. Even without the one seed, the train keeps rolling up there in Kansas City. Dallas and Philadelphia matched up, and the Cowboys beat up on the Eagles this past weekend. So hand up here. I grossly underestimated how many Eagle players would be sitting in this game. This game was a product of the extra week, nothing else. Both of these teams, short memory going into the playoffs. Yeah, we're in the same boat on that one. That Philadelphia money line made me look very stupid. But Dallas does what they do best. They dominate the NFC East opponents. Dallas scored 530 points during the season. That's 45% of their points scored in the six games against their division opponents. The next game, we have Green Bay at Detroit, where Aaron the boys, they played the first half, got benched in the second just, just to relax. But the Lions still hung 37 on that Packers defense to win the final game of the season. But great news, David Bakhtiari back in the lineup. Josh Meyer, their rookie center from Ohio State, back in the lineup this week. And potentially get Zadarius Smith and Jari Alexander back into the first week of the playoffs. Yeah, this is kind of the running theme of this week. The new Week 18 made a lot of these games completely irrelevant. Rodgers, like you said, didn't play deep into this game, but the fact that he played surprised me. But it did let the Lions hang around and steal one. Really cool moment for that St. Brown family, though. Washington football team and the New York Giants. What a disaster of a game, too. You talked about the Giants and their consecutive quarterback sneaks inside their own 10-yard line. Here's the only problem is, They've scored 26 points in the last four games. They've been outscored 106 to 26. So I just think, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea what to even make of this team because there's nothing there. They ran a quarterback sneak inside their own 10 in back-to-back plays. It might have been their best 18. offense. They run a jumbo goal line. Dude, their play. offense scored 26 points in the last month. It is ridiculous. And it's not like they don't have talent. They definitely have talent on that roster. Quarterback is not one of those roster talented spots. Or any of the offensive linemen. Yeah, hey, they got good special teams, though. Thank God for you, Joe Judge. They're both out. Again, Gettleman, quote-unquote, retiring. Yeah, it's called a it's called a buyout. You're not retiring, bud. And Joe Judge, obviously, get him the fuck out of here. Chicago and Minnesota, NFC North Snooze Fest. I don't really care. It's the battle of the, of the inevitable coaches being fired. Both the coaches and GMs of these teams, both gone. I don't really care. Vikings win. Yeah, you're right. Who cares about the game on the field? For me, it's the looking at what these guys' tenure at both their locations is going to be. Zimmers is going to be defined by the defensive success he had there for eight years in the Minneapolis Miracle. Meanwhile, Nagy's tenure will be remembered for the double doink. Cincinnati and Cleveland they had the Battle of Ohio. It felt a lot like a preseason game, a lot more than a Week 18 matchup a few weeks ago. It could have been for the division. I mean, you truly had to love football to make it through this one. Browns won by five. Really love football, or it was one of the four games on in my house, and I paid no attention. It, it was on just for shits and gigs and just for gambling purposes. It's the backup bowl. Joey B didn't even make the trip up to Cleveland to play in this game. I'm not worried about it. Cannot wait to see them in the playoffs, and maybe they can continue their streak of a playoff win drought since before we were born, which is pretty crazy to think about. Brady and the boys hang 40-plus on the Carolina Panthers to end their season on a nice three-game win streak. The best part of the game, though, I thought, was Gronk staying in the game. Brady also demanding he stay in the game to make sure Gronk gets his seventh catch to secure his second $500,000 incentive bonus that he signed on the contract. That's a million-dollar Sunday. That's pretty nice. 
part of me really wants to say that it's like a big middle finger to Antonio Brown, especially with all the incentives that he had coming up in the final two weeks. But we've seen Brady do this for years. I mean, to get force-fed the ball and get more money, I mean, where do people sign up? Like, I want to be a Brady teammate. And speaking of Brady, his former team ended their regular season on much more somber terms. They lose to Miami as is tradition now. What's a little more surprising is what we've already talked about is who got shown the door after that game. 9-13. and 13. Can you guess what that 9-13 and 13 means, Wally? Oh, boy. I, is this a Belichick's record there? As Belichick's record in Miami, the dude cannot win. Something about those those Northeast teams or anywhere North that play in a cold state or even in a dome, and they go out somewhere in December and it's still 65, 70 degrees. It fucks with them. Happened even when Tom Brady was there, obviously, because that's where a bulk of those games are coming from. But the passes cannot play in Miami. Miami scoring twice on the defense to end the season with a winning record. But it still did not stop Miami from letting go of Brian Flores. Again, cannot wait to just see every Miami Dolphins fan in his in their feelings over the next decade while Brian Flores just flourishes throughout the NFL. The Saints did what they had to do to possibly secure the last wildcard playoff spot by beating the Atlanta Falcons. Because of the San Francisco 49ers, we're humming a different tune here. Matt Ryan is expected back next year in Atlanta, so... So my take from him being gone is garbage of the last two years. But you know what? It's coming back stronger than ever next year when he starts sucking again. You have a, like internal war with Atlanta. I thought you got past it and you got a new rival in the Chiefs this year. But it's good. Now you have two teams to worry about. But I mean, Variety is the spice of life. <laughs> it is. And, well, and you're consistent. I've got to give you that. There's no knocking that at all. But I mean, this was such a mean way for the Saints to miss the playoffs. You kind of hinted at it. But at halftime of these 4 o'clock games, the Saints led by 18 and the Niners trailed by 14. I mean, the only bigger loser here is Atlanta on the heels of the Matt Ryan news. Like you said, the Falcons are doomed to mediocrity forever. The Colts had a historic collapse in Indianapolis. They've lost down their seventh straight game at Duval. And unfortunately for them, it cost them a playoff spot in the process. I mean, the last two weeks... 262 yards and 233 yards when a win would get them in. Just completely unacceptable. Put that in perspective. Joe Burrow had more passing yards his last two games of the season than the Colts put up total yards of offense over the last two games of the season. Times two. Times two. It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. How you have that Carson Wentz, all the eyes are on him. He blew the playoff chances for this team. With the uncertainty. With, you know, not even being unvaxxed, but with the COVID protocol, making that difficult for him to miss practice. You could tell how sluggish he was in that game against the Raiders, and he obviously just was not getting it done against the Jacksonville Jaguars, easily the worst team in the league. Indies drives on Sunday, turnover on downs, field goal, three and out, fumble in four plays, punt, interception on the first play, downs, which was a goal line stand, then downs. That turnover of downs was a four-play drive that resulted in negative two yards. <laughs> Thank God they got a garbage touchdown. And it's literally when they needed to score. They got negative four yards. In a position you'd imagine, the Jaguars playing soft, just keep it in front of you, and they can't even get positive yardage. I think the glaring thing is, yes, Carson Wentz, you, you need to be better. You, you failed your team. 
they need to get a true number one playmaking wide receiver on that team to complement Michael Pittman Jr. You don't have a Paris Campbell. T.Y. Hilton is just getting old and just isn't the same receiver. You have to get someone, a complimentary player, so you're able to spread the ball. You're going to make yourself one-dimensional when we all know, even though Jonathan Taylor has ripped off the runs, eight, nine, ten people in the box, it's going to catch up to you eventually. Keeping it in the division, the Tennessee Titans almost blew the game against the Houston Texans. But they were able to close it out behind Ryan Tannehill's four touchdowns. On a side note, flipping to the other side, I like Davis Mills, and I think Houston potentially found their quarterback of the future. I think that assuming the Deshaun Watson stuff doesn't clear up by next year, he's done enough to earn himself a second year, and hopefully with better players around him. But that's about as far as I'll go. But credit to that entire team. I know it's weird when you're 4-13 and to be giving credit to a coaching staff. But going into this year, four did not feel possible for this team. And, I mean, there were even a few tough games that they hung in there. So, David Culley, Lovey Smith, and Tim Kelly did a terrific job this year. But the story has to be Derrick Henry. Their risk paid off. They almost blew their first, or a bye week in the one seed. But they got him an extra two weeks of rest this way. And now, all of a sudden, there's not a lot of teams that are excited to see that guy coming at him fully healthy and at full speed. The Jets and the Bills played, and this was one of the more lopsided games that I can really even remember. The Bills do clinch the East behind the dominating performance, but holy hell, the Jets are bad. And by the way, before I throw it to you, I am waving my Zach Wilson is a bum flag more than I ever have before. I am, he's like, I'm convinced he's a bust. I don't know what people are seeing in him. It's too quick to tell. You can't give him the Josh Rosen treatment. Give it a little bit of this 21, 22-year-old kid to blossom. At least give him that three years. Three years is all you're asking. Then you can get rid of him. Don't hold on to him too long like you're the Cleveland Browns or something. But this game was actually pretty close until about the fourth quarter. Buffalo only had a one-possession lead for most of this game. Josh Allen, 24-45, 239, two touchdowns. But the story of the game was this Bills defense. They held the Jets to 53 total yards. This is not a typo. 53 total yards. And 11 punts. One of those was blocked. 11 punts. My goodness, Robert Sala. I know you're a defensive guy, but you're going up against an offense every week. Something's got to rub off on you where you know some sort of schematic game plan for them. Yeah, well, at some point, too, you got to hope that your offensive coordinator can scheme up some things. Only thing for the offense, I'll say for them a little bit, if I'm playing devil's advocate to my Zach Wilson is a bum take is that seven of his 11 picks this year came in his first three starts. So he's at least protecting the ball, but he's also just not throwing downfield. Everything is underneath. Mike White era cannot come soon enough. Get him back. You'll get the Zach Wilson bum flag going. I'll get the Mike White flag blowing here in Columbus. The Big Ben retirement train is still on its tracks, people. They defeat Baltimore in overtime, 16-13, to and T.J. Watt ties Michael Strahan's record of 22 and a half sacks in a single season. Not only do they eliminate, obviously, the Ravens by beating them, this is the game that elimin- officially eliminated the Colts from playoff contention. Do you think the Steelers can do anything riding this Big Ben train right now? No, uh, but they won't die. So here's we make the jokes all the time that I feel so comfortable and I'm giving a little bit of a teaser. Like if you were that confident in a bet, Vegas is probably going to win it because it's going to go the other way. I don't know how the Steelers can keep within 10.5, but we'll talk about that more here in a bit. But I want to focus on the Ravens for a second. 
They lost their final six games this year to finish eight and nine. Three of those games came by one point. Two more came within three. They fought injuries all year long, but eventually they just caught up to this team. That division is going to be potentially even better next year, especially with the running game. You'd imagine back to normal. Look out for the AFC North. In our last game here in NASCAR, Seattle went to Arizona and potentially Russell Wilson's last game as a Seahawk. His press conferences this week didn't exactly dispel those rumors, but the Cardinals keep losing. They're pulling their own Pittsburgh collapse of 2020-2021 here. Russ with four total touchdowns. Sean Penny with 190 yards and one touchdown. Honestly, this Seahawks offense is hitting their stride at the worst time of the season. Arizona is a joke. This team is looking horrible without D-Hop. And even with him coming back, I just don't... This team isn't the same. They're not that explosive, scary team that we saw the first seven, eight weeks of the season. And ever since the injuries, which I feel like we've been harping on, like as long as they can stay healthy, they can be dominant. They're just not staying healthy. TJ Watt is expected to at least hit the practice field, maybe being able to play in this wild card weekend here on the Monday night game between the Cardinals and Rams, which is insane because he hasn't played since week seven because of season-ending shoulder surgery. But I want to ask you this question before we hop in here to a couple of the games that we can actually go in depth about. With the way this offense was looking and humming for the Seattle Seahawks, and yes, I know it's not a winning season, first losing record that Russell Wilson has had, do you think that maybe this would entice him a little bit more to stay with all of the rumors and speculation of him potentially wanting to leave, mostly the speculation behind yours truly right here, but do you think maybe that, oh, well, listen, we had the run game. Rashad Penny's looking nice. We'll get Chris Carson back. We'll get DK and Tyler Lockett back in their stride, and Russ is 100% healthy. Do you think that would entice him a little bit to come back instead of pushing to get out? He's sending a lot of mixed messages, and I'm actually was I'm really happy you asked that question because I was kind of thinking about that run down the rundown here, is that he had a really good couple weeks, and it's that graduation goggles, you know, at the end of school, you're like, this was a great school year, when in reality, the first 178 school days, you hated your life and you were excited to get out. I think that once this initial, I guess, wave of emotion waves off of him a little bit, you'll see him decide, hey, you know what, if I want to win three more Super Bowls, which he's been very vocal about, that's his goal, is to get to four total, it's not in Seattle. They are so far behind right now, and I know he loves DK Metcalf, and they have a great relationship. I just don't know how you can possibly stay there. We want to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by Tabby's.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabby's offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabby's.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time, and it's not a fix. Like, Don't get me wrong about that, but it does make me feel much more at ease, hence the name. Whenever I am feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this, whether they were a sponsor or not. So please go and make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That is Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. 
You can get any of these products at tabease.com. And with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. With that, that's going to bring us to the end of our NASCAR segment. We can dive right into a couple games that we can recap here on the Week 18 slate. First game that we have here on the slate is San Francisco 49ers defeating the Los Angeles Rams by overcoming a 17-point deficit and clinching a wild-card spot here. They have now won six straight games against McVay and the Rams. And honestly, I like the way Jimmy G was looking, not the whole game, but towards the tail end of those two game-winning drives, essentially. Game-tying and then a game-winning drive in overtime. 23-32 of 32 with 316, a touchdown, and two interceptions. But again, he engineered two drives in a clutch performance scenario to tie the game and then to drive them down to kick a field goal, and then their defense ultimately bails them out here with an interception of Matt Stafford. I hate my life. This is the number one team in the NFC that I do not want to see as a Packers fan. So my PTSD is starting to set in, and Matt Stafford cannot stop turning the ball over these last four weeks. Well, that's the thing that I feel like everybody is kind of forgetting is that the Cardinals have like upended the panic around the Rams so much because of how poorly they've played. The Rams haven't exactly looked good the last two months. I mean, since the Robert Woods injury, it feels like they've been a different team. And even now, we had the news come out earlier today with Fuller's injury. They're going to be starting a 36- or 37-year-old Eric Weddle who does not know this defense, has never played with this defensive coordinator, and he's going in raw? I just don't know how that's going to work. I mean, the one thing I will say is that San Francisco is a good team. This was a good team that the L.A. lost to. But they were up 17-0 in this game. And when you went out and you invested in Vaughn Miller earlier in the year, this is a nightmare scenario. I, I just, this is not a 49ers team we thought capable of coming back three scores, two at half. I feel like this is very, I guess, ominous about what is to come here in the next couple weeks. And Matt Stafford, now this cloud is over him. And it was one of the questions or all what the, a lot of the Matt Stafford haters were saying. Yes, he's a good quarterback. How much can you credit that to just chucking it up to double, triple, quadruple coverage of Calvin Johnson? This is his fourth playoff game in this illustrious career that we're all claiming that he has. He's never won a playoff game. There's going to be a cloud around there. There's going to be a huge monkey on Matt Stafford's back. And I don't know if he's going to be able to take the pressure. We've seen what he's – we saw him going to Baltimore – And yes, he engineered a game-winning drive. He also put them in that position. This defense isn't playing the way that we thought it was and the way it did last year because a lot of those pieces ended up leaving in free agency. Felt like half the secondary, if not all of them, went to Cleveland here. And now you lose your starting safety and bring in a 37-year-old veteran who hasn't stepped foot on the field for two years since 2019. When it was with the Rams, I'll give them that. But to Wally's point, different coordinator, different scheme. They've gone through, they've actually had two cents Weddle has been retired. We'll see how quickly he can get integrated into, into that. But bringing a guy off the street, and yes, yes, he's been an all-pro first and second team about five or six times, but it's not an ideal situation for this Rams team. And this is a battle of the team shaking in their boots here on the Monday night game, but you know we'll get to that part. Now it's my time to ask you an impromptu question. The 49ers, the Rams, and the Cardinals – They're all representing NFC West. All year we talked about how deep and how talented the NFC West and AFC North is. There's a real chance that we might be looking at 
a divisional round with only one of the four teams out of both of those divisions. Who do you think out of this NFC West is poised to make a run? You have to give it to the San Francisco 49ers. This is the best time to bring it up because there's a lot of things that go into how you pick your Super Bowl contender, who's representing said conference. How are they looking at the end of the season? How's that winning streak doing? Can they get after the passer? Can they run the ball? Can they not turn the ball over? San Francisco's checking all those boxes. Now, their turnover differential is not that great, but they are checking every other box. You got Debo Samuel, that he's doing that score Daryl Patterson type role there in San Francisco. You have George Kittle take these last couple weeks out, has been a monster to be back on that offensive side of the ball. We'll see if they can get Trent Williams back on their O-line to help bolster what has been a struggling unit since he has been on the sideline. And that defense is playing. They're quietly a top five defense that no one has been talking about. And you also have Kyle Shanahan. Yes, he loves blowing leads. This this team seems a little bit different after all the comebacks that they've engineered, even though they just blew a lead to Tennessee about three weeks ago, up 17-0. And we just talked about Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald were the guys that everybody talked about in this game as being the pass rusher to look out for. And Eric Armstead was a beast in this game. Had two and a half sacks, could have had more. Looked outstanding. I mean, this is a team that's playing very good football. And like you said, not only offense, not only defense, but special teams too. If Jimmy G can protect the ball, this team can be poised to win two or three games in the playoffs. They have the stars at all the positions you need it to be. And we haven't even spoke about Nick Bosa, who was having a awesome comeback year from his ACL tear. We just don't know because it's TJ Watt, Miles Garrett that we're always talking about. The last game that we have here in our our recap, the one that makes our co-host here smile, Mr. Wally Lukashensky's Vegas Raiders pulled out in the Death Star against a hated division rival. It'd feel a little bit sweeter if it was the Kansas City Chiefs, but this one will do just fine, and that matchup potentially can wait here in a couple weeks. The Raiders win the game in overtime behind Daniel Carlson's fourth game-winning kick in the last seven, eight weeks. I'll let you speak on that. But, man, who would have thought we would have been talking about the Raiders making this playoff push a month ago? Because this just capped off a four-game win streak, and that team also knows how to get after the quarterback. Maybe they can make a run. Wally, the floor is yours. Again, I said it at the top. I don't know what to say. I literally am so in disbelief still that this happened. And what a, a game it was. The last Sunday night game of the year, the last regular season game of the year, perhaps was the best regular season game. I know I'm a biased Raider fan and it got me in, so I'm a little higher on it. But this game had it all. You had teams blowing leads. God, the Raiders, it felt like blew in every other minute. You had the Chargers doing what Brandon Saley has done all year and stuck with his guns. He went for it on fourth and one on his own 16. It felt like that in the third quarter was going to flip the game. They never were going to recover from it. Just to score 14 points in the last five, six minutes of that game to send it to overtime. And this Raiders team, I mean, again, everything they've overcome this year, not only off the field, but on the field too. You mentioned down the stretch here. We, they, I said we. Sorry, that's how excited I'm getting. The Raiders have gone 4-0 down the stretch here. And in overtime this year, they went 4-0. They're winning close games. And that comes down to a lot of that, I, I guess, that charisma on the the I guess chemistry on the sideline nobody's given up everybody truly is bought in right now 
I, I literally, uh, dude, I feel so speechless. This is so exciting. I don't even know where to begin. I, I guess I'll save most of my Raider stuff for the, actually, when we're picking a game down the road here. So I'll just talk on the Chargers. Justin Herbert is an outstanding young quarterback. He should not be throwing it 64 times. Nobody should be throwing it 64 times. And not only did Brandon Staley really almost screw themselves with that fourth and one call, what everybody's talking about is he screwed them with that timeout at the end of that game where the Raiders looked like they were kind of content to just sit on the ball. If the Chargers didn't call timeout, I think there's a very good chance we're doing a show right now talking about how the Steelers are miserable. The Chargers are playing, uh, I guess, I think they're, they'd probably be playing the Bengals or they would be playing in uh, Buffalo, whatever, and then the Raiders would have the Chiefs. Like, that kick, I mean, that's the most exciting at the end of a regular season has come that I can remember. Three teams on bated breath watching a kick. I've been very critical of Week 18 for the NFL, but they really saved it. They really saved it with this final game. They had a great inaugural Week 18. That was because I think we both had the same mindset. It's like, yes, as football fans, we are greedy. Of course, we want football. Even more as gambling fans, of course, we want more football. It's more opportunity, another week for us to get out of the hole, maybe pay the mortgage, whatever it may be. And it delivered. Yes, there's a couple one o'clock games. Your your Cincy Browns game, yawn. The Packers Lions game, yawn. And I'm even a fan. You know, both the NFC North matchups actually. The Giants Washington game. Who the hell is watching that outside of the respective areas? No one. So for the way that Pittsburgh and Baltimore ended, it was miraculous. As a lot of a lot of the hate that Big Ben gets, sometimes you got to sit back and this guy is going to be a first bout Hall of Famer. Yes, he's, you know, yes, he's had a little bit of a troubled past of what we have between these couple of the allegations, the the motorcycle crash of not wearing a helmet, all looking really fat and drunk for the last 12 years on the sideline. Yes, we dog him, but we got to sit back and recognize and realize how awesome Big Ben was during that time. He was a big, white, non-mobile Cam Newton. No one could tackle this dude, and he could. Sl- he was throwing five thousand yards. He was slinging it, and he was the best scrambler to watch. Oh, I, I don't think I've ever seen the dude's knees bend, not even when he slid. This was a great week eighteen, great first time around. But I hope they didn't set the bar up too high because they might just get shittier by the year, bud. Hopefully, next year what we get is a lot of games that matter because we probably won't get. The level, I mean, this Raiders Charger game, if this was like a postseason game or something, we'd be talking about it forever. Steeler, Chargers, and Raider fans already will be talking about this game forever. But if we can just get good football in week 18 again, that's all I want. I don't, we don't need anything crazy. I just want to be entertained. And like you said, yeah, there quite a few games were bad, but we'll see. The experiments in year one. And with that, that is going to bring us to the end of our Week 18 recap of those couple games. Before we hop in to the Wild Card Weekend gambling lines, meanwhile, you kind of want to go through what we think the award predictions are going to be. It's going to be like another mini NASCAR segment here. We're going to run through these because, honestly, we have a bunch of the same. We were actually talking here off air a little bit about I don't, we can't remember when all these award winners have just been clear-cut fit. Like, everyone has a mutual agreeance about who the award winner is 
So that's why we're going to run through it. Wally, we have the MVP up here first. So I'm going to toss it to my MVP. Oh, that was nice. I feel really special now. And I'll be nice too. Your guy, your MVP, and the one it will be this year, is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, This we should point out too, and I know you said it, but just to really punch home, this is not who we think should be these like winner award winners. These are who we believe will win them. They might both be true, but that's what I'm saying. So anyways, Aaron Rodgers, do you want me to fly through all mine or do you want me to go back and forth? Perfect. All right, Steven, I assume that you're going to be rocking with your Packer guy here and the way you've been talking the last month going with Rodgers as well. Yeah, I got to go with uh, my Packer guy here, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's been playing great ball. It sucks that he had that one game against Kansas City he missed, and maybe his stats could be a little bit higher. But how could you not give it to him? I can understand I can understand Cooper Cup. I think that is the best next person that we can put in there, strictly because of his numbers. He just won the Triple Crown. That hasn't happened since the mid-2000s when my guy Steve Smitty Sr. did it for the Carolina Panthers. Yes, I can understand why Tom Brady would get it. The amount of pass attempts that he had, most completions in a single season, a 5,000-yard game. But who have you played? Let me give you an MVP trophy for playing Atlanta twice, getting shut out by the New Orleans Saints 9 nothing, or for smoking the Carolina Panthers twice in three weeks and the Jets in between them, which you almost blew. No, I can't give it to Tom Brady. Yes, what he did was awesome. He scored one more touchdown than what his age is. Awesome season, but he got to give it to Aaron. 12 touchdowns, 12 games this year with multiple touchdowns and zero interceptions, breaking a record of Tom Brady set in 2010, as well as Aaron's own record in 2014 and 2011. Wally, who's your offensive player of the year? Well, you guys have been hearing me for the last month basically sell the world on Cooper Cup. I'm trying so hard to get him at least in that MVP discussion. He's at least in the discussion, but like offensive player of the year, it's got to be Cooper Cup or Jonathan Taylor. And it's got to be Cooper Cup. And this is the only one of these awards. I'm going to go into a little bit of stat depth here just to give you guys an idea. You touched on it. Steve Smith in 05 was most recent, but there's only been three triple crown winners since 1990. That doesn't happen very often for wide receivers, but here's the difference. I understand they have 17 games. That's an extra game. These stats are lopsided. I'm just going to go through real quick, tell you guys. Jerry Rice, Sterling Sharp, and Steve Smith all have done it in the last 30 years. Here are their receptions. 108, 103, 100. Cooper Cup this year, 145. Second most all time. Yards for these guys, 1461, and then both in the 1500s. Cooper Cup, 1947. Touchdowns for these guys, 13, 13, 12. Cooper Cup, 16. This was a historic year. And coming off of what we just talked about, Matthew Stafford and that offense has struggled. And he is doing this. It is a once in a lifetime kind of year for this guy. We're going to be talking about this in 20 years about what Cooper Cup did in 2021 and 2022. You hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Cooper Cup is definitely my vote. Like you said, the Triple Crown is not something you come across every day. The only reason I knew about the last one, as well as because I just heard it, but it's because I lived in Carolina when it was happening. This doesn't happen often. And while I said everything perfectly, I don't even want to repeat it, but with what Matt Stafford is doing and how inconsistent he's been playing, Cooper Cup has been the most consistent player on that team and in the whole NFL. Now, for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to go with Jonathan Taylor on here. He single-handedly brought that team 
back into the playoff contention. The way that he was running the ball over that that eight-game span when we all were taking notice when he was getting at least 103 yards per game and scoring minimum one touchdowns when he had three and four touchdown games, a fiver against the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Jonathan Taylor was going off, and he single-handedly was keeping that offensive afloat, which you can make the argument for Cooper Cup, but they have other weapons in that offense. You had Robert Woods. You added Odell Beckham. Tyler Higby is having a good year. And yes, you can add in Daryl Henderson and Sonny Michelle towards the end. They have pieces that I don't think the Indianapolis Colts had around Jonathan Taylor. It was more like here. Between the tackles outside, don't care. I'm Carson Wentz. Get it the hell out of my hand because you know I can't throw it. At least Cooper Cup had a quarterback to throw to him. Yes, he's inconsistent. But Jonathan Taylor did more with less. So me personally, I'm going to give that nod to him. The next that we have on the list, this is going to be easy. Defensive player of the year, TJ Watt, tied the single season sack record at 22 and a half. And yes, we had the extra game added, but he missed a couple and even left a couple games early. So he got that in about, we'll give him 13 and a half, 14 games. It is impressive. He is a game wrecker. He is chest, shoulders, and head above anybody else in this. And I don't, I don't even see who would be in second right now. I'd pick for him second just because. First and second. I mean, he's going to win it. This is actually amazing, too, for people that can get odds like this if you're in a state with legal gambling. TJ Watts plus 185. The next, like, lowest or, I guess, next best odds would be, like, plus 700. So you get plus money, and it's a home run bet. I have no idea how that's not lower. But you're right. He tied the record in 15 games, and he looked dominant all year. I mean, it didn't matter who he was playing the tackle didn't have a chance and we're really in a really cool day and age right now. Cause there are more elite pass rushers than I think we've probably seen since the late eighties and early nineties. It is. I mean, it, there's a reason right now, this is only the second year in the last like 15 that teams, the league average was under 250 passing yards a game. That is in large part due to people like TJ Watt. Just like this next one, though, it's going to be a slam dunk, easy one. Offensive Rookie of the Year. Like, I am amazed Mac Jones has the odds he does. He's at, like, plus 250 to Jamar Chase, minus 200. If Jamar Chase doesn't win this, just cancel the award. I mean, he set Bengals records as a rookie this year. I I, I got nothing. I, I really got nothing. It's got to be Jamar. And it's not like no receivers have came through that Cincinnati locker room. There's been a couple of very good receivers that came through that. So it's miraculous what Jamar Chase has done and how stupid he's making defenses look. I mean, you can pick, you can have a whole highlight reel of just the Kansas City game of what this guy is able to do and how he can just blow up a defense in a matter of one move, one cut, gone. Seven people around him, ain't no one touching him. Now, it was getting a little bit closer here towards the tail end. Mac Jones was kind of teetering, and Jamar Chase kind of slowed down. But these last couple weeks in meaningful games, Jamar Chase took right off, and Mac Jones just kept staying stagnant, kind of plateauing in what his performance is. So you have to give it to Jamar Chase. And you said it best, Wally. The, the dude's an animal. Setting Bengals franchise records nine months into the program. This guy's ridiculous, and man, what the hell is in the water at that LSU? My God, I would not mind getting one of those wide receivers in the next draft. Go Tigers. 
Oh, is that uh Coach O? Is that your uh, is that your impression of Brian Kelly or, or, or uh... they basically have the same dialect? Good point. <laughs> well, I know I'm bringing it up because of how obviously he's trying to have a fake accent all of a sudden, like he wasn't in bumfuck Indiana for the past twelve years, and he grew up in freaking Boston. Don't act like you're like now Southern. If anything, go out there with the hardcore Northeastern accent. At least then I can buy it. Guy's a complete cuck. Defensive player of the year is the next award that we have. We both agree. It's Micah Parsons. This this kid was insane. He's had the most sacks a rookie linebacker has had. This dude almost eclipsed 100 tackles, and he was rushing the passer for the better half of the season. And this dude totaled 84 tackles. That doesn't even include the 10 tackles for loss he also had. He is a menace to society. He, again, just like Jamar Chase, he is way above the rest of the competition on this. Oh uh, yeah, I I mean we're talking. I think it was either minus one thousand or minus ten thousand. Like he, it's not even worth having a second candidate. We already know. I'm not going to waste time on it. Parsons, he's closer to being defensive player of the year than having somebody challenge him for defensive rookie of the year. But our comeback player of the year award, I think it's probably about as tight as offensive player of the year. With that being between Cooper Cup and uh, Jonathan Taylor. Comeback player of the year has got to be between Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott. Both had really difficult injuries last year and both led their teams to division titles. The reason I'm going with Joe Burrow is because I feel like we kind of expected Dallas to be what they are, whereas Joe Burrow and the Bengals were kind of a laughing stock and an afterthought in the AFC North going into the year. People expected to win five to seven games. Instead, they win 10, could have won more, and did so in like the greatest show on earth kind of like fashion here. Yeah. The, the Bengals had the explosiveness we were expecting Dallas to have this whole season with, they have a very similar setup. You take away the offensive lines. You got three receivers that could arguably all be number one receivers on different teams. They got running backs, not, you know, not a two headed running monster between Tony Pollard and Zeke, but you got Joe Mixon who had a great year and you add in a tight end that really incorporated himself in this offense that had a standout year, on paper, they look like very similar teams. But Joe Burrow is the most consistent. He put up those Dak Prescott numbers against division foes in a harder division, against harder defenses, and against just more competent teams in general. And yeah, there's there's a couple games that they could have won. The, the game against the Green Bay Packers. They blew a game against the Jets this year. They blew a game against the Chicago Bears there, there in week two as well. There's a lot of games that they could have been a 12-13 win team. And Joe Burrow is masking a lot of the deficiencies that they do have on the, on the offensive line. And their defense isn't horrible, but it's not like they're anything to shake a stick at either. Joe Burrow is clearly the comeback player of the year. No one's anticipating this after an ACL tear. And man, oh man, him and Pat Mahomes seem like the AFC guys, but we were saying the same thing about Josh Allen last year. So I don't want to jump ahead too much. Comeback player of the year, Joe Burrow, which will lead us to our final award, the coach of the year. I have to go with the homer pick, but it's truly because this should win. Matt LaFleur, head coach for the Green Bay Packers. He just set the record for the most wins in the first three years of a head coach's career, 39. Had the opportunity to win 40, obviously rested some of the starters. But the 13 wins in back-to-back seasons, back-to-back NFC Championship games, with not even being sniffed about potentially coach of the year. He has the number one seed 
in the whole playoffs in all the NFL. He had the best record. Yes, he had the the MVP, or what we think the MVP is going to be, and the best quarterback. So, yes, obviously Aaron plays a part in that. But Matt LaFleur is the one who's the puppet master. He's he's getting Aaron Jones out in the flex, put him in the slot. He's using A.J. Dillon. He's getting the tight ends going. And on top of that, he had all-pro talent starters missing the majority of the season, dealing with injuries, dealing with four rookies on the offensive line for the better half of the last season. You got to give Matt LaFleur some credit here. 13 wins in three straight seasons and potentially making it to the NFC Championship in his third season as the head coach as well. I got to go with the homeboy LaFleur here. He's a, He would be a deserving winner. I just don't think he would be the most deserving because Mike Vrabel this year, and this isn't poking fun of you, this is poking fun of everybody. Everybody on earth had the Colts beating the Titans this year. They were going to win the division. Yada, yada, it was going to be easy. The Titans were going to have to struggle and hope for a wild card. And then they come out on fire this year. Outside of getting killed, I think, in the opener against the Cardinals, they started out really, really hot. And then what happens? Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, they all get hurt. People like us and everybody again was giving up on them and said that this Colts team was going to just leave the Titans basically in the dust or at least catch a floundering Titans team. The fact that he was able to not only win the division, but win the AFC's bye and in turn giving Derrick Henry an extra week off, I think you got to tip a major hat to Mike Vrabel. But again, this is another at least competitive award here so it could go either way but my money's on Vrabel that'll bring us to the end of what our award predictions are here so can't wait for those to come out um, they will come out the Sunday before the the Saturday before the Super Bowl the NFL Honors Awards cannot wait to throw a lot of money on what we think it is and TJ Watt again plus 185 free money he might as well be printing money I put my whole rent check on there before we get into the wild card matchups what was our records last week Yeah, last week you killed it. I came back down to earth very hard. I went 12 and 14. You'd probably be losing three or four units there at least. And then Steve, on the other hand, here, 16 and 7. Big, big week out of you. So I guess all we can do now is go into the postseason and hope we can recreate a little bit of magic from the last month. I needed that to just to get back a little bit closer to you on our season totals here. So I'm I don't feel bad for you at all because it's it's a bigger picture thing. Yeah, I had this week, but I'm going for the whole year I want to beat you on. It is going to start with your boys. The Las Vegas Raiders are traveling to the Cincinnati Bengals and the jungle where those cats are five and a half point favorites and the over-under set at 49. I'm going to go with Vegas at plus five and a half. I'm going to take Cincinnati's money line and here's why. Now, yes, Vegas is a middle-of-the-pack defense going up against a very hot quarterback in Joe Burrow and that wide receiving core. But luckily for Derek Carr, Cincinnati's pass defense really isn't that great either. This game is going to be won at the line of scrimmage, though. That is the that is the matchup that I'm circling around. Cincinnati is giving up the third-most sacks at 53, and Vegas is giving up tied for the 10th at 40. But both these teams can get after the quarterback, led by Trey Hendrickson, for the Cincinnati Bengals and the duo of Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby here in Vegas. Cincinnati 42 sacks, Vegas at 35. So the Bengals did blow blow out the Raiders here a few weeks ago in the first matchup. 
And yes, Vegas is traveling east on a short week after playing five quarters in a Sunday night game. But if you don't understand the mold of what this team is, it's winning close games or keeping it close. Daniel Carlson has won four games at the buzzer at, at a game-winning field goal the last seven or eight weeks. This team is screaming covered in the playoffs, but I like the Bengals to win their first game since 1990. Both of these teams enter this matchup with the long postseason rain clouds over their head. The Bengals haven't won that playoff game, like you said, since the 1990 season. And the Raiders haven't won a playoff game since the 2002 season. Something's got to give. And it's going to be an emotional scene one way or another. I just hope, again, I'm on the right side of it. I mean, both of these teams are playing at a much higher level than the last time they did match up. The score is a little misleading because there were two late turnovers in that game that the Bengals capitalized and scored on. But that was a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. And, and I actually... If people out there that are, like, subscribed to The Athletic, maybe it's worth reading if you're interested. Deshaun Reed is a Raiders insider, and he kind of did a breakdown of the last game that these two teams played and how he thinks that some things are different, some things might be the same. And just a couple notes that I really agreed with. The last time these two teams played, the Raiders really didn't get the pass rush that we expected them to. And you'd imagine they're playing so well this last month that it would take a tall task from a very much overmatched Bengals offensive line for them to like keep him upright all game. But you can say the same thing on the other side. The last time these teams played, the Raiders held Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase to their worst games of the year. The pass defense looked exceptional in that game. The only problem is, is the Bengals have inverted their offense since that time. They've passed now almost twice as much as they did then. They run about half as frequent. And regrettably for the Raiders, the Bengals have looked damn good these last two months. I really hope it doesn't come true. I'm going with the Raiders to overcome a little adversity and, and get the plus five and a half. But I agree with you. I, I think Hude is going to come out on top. And the Bengals finally, I think, start a really sad 20-year stretch for AFC North fans. Similar to Bengals fans, the Buffalo Bills for a long time were just beaten down in their division, and now it seems like they're really turning it around. They're minus four against New England at home, with the total being at 44. I have gone back and forth on this game probably a dozen times since we made the rundown up a few days ago, and I keep waiting for the line to change and convince me, but I'm taking the Bills minus four in the money line. They're so hot right now, the Patriots have seemingly got ice cold out of nowhere. Orchard Park's going to be banana lands, and I'm going to bet against Billy B, so I already know it's not going to work. But you talked about the, the how great their defense was earlier in the show on the NASCAR segment. The second-best defense in the league has over 600 yards more given up, that being the Carolina Panthers. I mean, the Bills are averaging 272 yards a game this year against, and I, I get it. Their schedule was a joke this year. But you have to play the teams on your schedule in any given Sunday. We saw it this last week with the freaking Colts and Jaguars. You have to still win the games. We saw it with the Bills and the Jaguars. So the Bills have to do it, and they've been doing it. For finally, after it seems like two years, I finally get to be on the, the Bills Mafia side so they don't get to hate me for a minute. But yeah, I'm going Bills minus four in the money line. Like you said, Billy B is back in the playoffs, but with a rookie quarterback. So since their first matchup, 
New England has lost three or four, one of those being to this Buffalo team in the second matchup, and Buffalo has won four straight. The weather up there in, in cold Buffalo is a high of 10 degrees and a low of 2 degrees. This is going to be awesome. Hopefully it's not windy and we're going to get what kind of what the first matchup was looking like here. It's a battle of two of the top four passing Ds and, and average to below average run stops, but we all know Buffalo's Achilles heel is protecting Josh Allen and running that ball because that offensive line is horrendous. So I expect Bill Belichick, and it's so hard to bet against him, to get that defense ready with how fresh that wound is from not only losing to Buffalo, but another divisional loss to Miami this past weekend. They need to get it right, and I expect this defense to come and play and Matt Judon to be a huge factor in this game, someone who's a top 10 tied for 7th in the league with 12 and a half sacks. I like New England plus four, and I'm going to take their money line as well for one of the upsets of Wild Card Weekend. The next game, Philadelphia at Tampa Bay, where we're getting we're getting a rematch from a Thursday night game here, where Tampa Bay is an eight and a half point favorite, and the over under set at forty seven and a half. The number one rushing offense going up against a great rushing defense. They're allowing third the third least amount of yards in the league, but they have been great for the past five years. Tampa Bay with the best passing offense versus a Philly defense ranked 11th in that category regarding yardage, but 10th overall. That's quietly a top 10 defense based on yardage. Now, Jalen Hurts has an opportunity to ball here against a Bucks D in a secondary that's just having problems all year. Tampa Bay has designated playoff Lenny, Gio Bernard, and Levante David to come back from IR. We'll see what that running attack is looking like because we already know Chris Godwin out, AB out. See if you can get Gronk back in. But I like Philly at plus eight and a half. But how can you bet against Tom Brady this early in the playoffs? I'm going to put pair that with their money line as well. Yeah, I feel like an idiot going back to back, going against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, at least in terms of the spread. And I feel like I'm going to echo a little bit of what you were going to say, but I'm, I just feel like it's worth noting. I mean, you're right. The, this is kind of strength on strength. The Eagles are running on everybody and anybody right now. And like you said, the Buccaneers rank third in rushing yards allowed. But I don't really feel like it paints the full picture. They're in the middle of the league in terms of yards allowed per carry this year. And that might be in large part due to the fact that they're constantly finding themselves up in games. So when you are giving up run, you're playing a soft defense. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, this is where we find out who wins this game is it's the battle of the trenches. And I know that you can say that for a lot of football games, but it feels ever important in this one. The Phillies, the Phillies, the Eagles offensive line is going to have to be challenged and they're going to have to show up for it to happen. I think they do enough to cover, but like you, I I can't do it. I'm going to have to go with Tom Brady outright. So Eagles plus eight and a half bucks cover. And then back over to your neck of woods in the NFC, the 49ers are traveling down to Jerry's world where the Cowboys are three point favorites. The total is set at 51 I'm going with Kyle Shanahan. We both were talking about what NFC West team we think can come out or at least go on a little bit of a run. I'm trusting Kyle Shanahan. To me, he's the best coach in that division, and I think that he's going to dwarf your boy Mike McCarthy down there. And the fact that Jerry Jones has come out this week and said it's Super Bowl or bust this year, I just feel like that's so much unnecessary pressure from an owner when – The Cowboys really haven't had a lot of success in the playoffs, at least going back to Troy Aikman in the 90s. 
I don't like that. I, I'm going to take the 49ers plus three. I'm going to trust Jimmy Garoppolo to just not turn it over a lot. And I understand Dallas, I mean, with Diggs out there, I mean, they're, they're hunting for them picks, but I just think they protect it enough. 49ers get the cover, and more importantly, they get the win. Slide over. This boat is for two, Wally. I like San Francisco at plus three and their money line as well. San Francisco has quietly gotten back into a top three defense in terms of yardage allowed. Nick Bosa has been been coming on a little bit stronger here towards the end of the season, and the offense is just getting healthier, getting more games under their belt after a little bit of injury to Debo as well as George Kittle, and getting Jimmy G back healthy is the most important. Is most important. Now, Dallas has been stumbling over themselves since November, and it proves that they really can't play anyone who isn't in the NFC East. Dallas does have the most takeaways this year and tied for the most turnover differential at 34 and at plus 14. A category San Francisco sits 23rd in for turnover differential and 20th in takeaways. But San Fran has won 7 of 9 and arguably the hottest and scariest team in the NFC right now. Like I said... Teams that, what what type of streak are they on at the end of the season? Seven, seven of nine, it's pretty damn good, considering they started three and five. They can get after the quarterback between Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa. They got a running game. They got that tight end that's dangerous to Jimmy G. Like I said, that turnover differential is going to be the big question mark. But San Francisco's hot. I am scared of them. Money line in that plus three there in Jerry World. The Pittsburgh Steelers are traveling back from a Week 16 rematch to Arrowhead, where Kansas City is 12.5-point favorites and the over-under set at 46. Wally, already love it on here. He said, let me just pencil you in for Pittsburgh at plus 12.5. Absolutely. And I'm going to take the Kansas City money line, so I'm not that dumb. But you, you already know I'm taking it. I want that line. Kansas City did spank the Steelers here a couple weeks ago, and the game is back in Arrowhead. But it is it is hard to beat a team twice and to beat a team twice in the fashion that they did. Big Ben is not going to have that Ray Lewis retirement tour impact with this team. But it really, this game is going to come down to if Pittsburgh is going to at least cover or win TJ Watt and disrupting this play. Maybe he can have a monster game like he did against Cleveland here two weeks ago when he had four sacks. That will give him a chance to win. But I like the Steelers to cover to at least go out on top and have Big Ben motivated enough, have them juiced up enough to fight off a little bit, but I like Kansas City winning, even though Big Ben's just going out there to, quote-unquote, have fun. Yeah, how about that today? You have Big Ben trying to convince the world that the Steelers should be 115-point underdogs to the Chiefs, and then you have Andy Reid trying to convince the world that this is a, like, re-job of the 1985 Bears. It's gamesmanship at its best. It's very Nick Saban, Bill Belichickian, where, like, you try to turn yourself into an underdog, and I just don't believe it. I mean, everything in this game points to the Chiefs covering, so that's when Vegas always cashes in on morons like me. I understand the Steelers' run feels magical, getting to extend Big Ben's career by at least a game, but I have no idea how they compete in this game. I've got the Chiefs minus 12.5 in the money line. While the Chiefs haven't looked the greatest down the stretch, I have to believe their best is at least two touchdowns better than the Steelers' best right now. This is going to take an all-time defensive performance, like you said, from T.J. Watt and company, to even put them in a position to win. Covering would be an achievement for the Steelers team, the way they've looked sometimes put this year. But unless the offense shows some signs of life, their defense is going to be on the field all day long. The NFL finally says goodbye to Ben Roethlisberger this weekend. Like I said, 
Chiefs minus 12 and a half. And then our final game of Super Wild Card Weekend here, Arizona is traveling to the Rams in LA. Three and a half point favorites to the home team there. You know, this is a game, again, this is the beauty of playoff football. I have talked myself in and out of this game eight times because it's going to just feel like who wants to lose more opposed to who wants to win the way these teams have played down the stretch. And and I'm going to hedge. I'm going to say I'm taking the Cardinals plus three and a half because I think they're going to make this a very close game, but I'm taking the Rams money line because I do think this will be a field goal or come down to a field goal at the end. I'm going to give the Rams the edge here. Cooper Cup, my guy, he's going to go out and have a monster game, and I think he's going to actually see Matthew Stafford out-duel Kyler Murray in this one. Yeah, I like the Rams at minus 3.5 and, and, and their money line for the first ever playoff game there at SoFi. As much as I want this Arizona team to win and be the team that has to come up to Lambeau, I believe that the Rams are going to help Matt Stafford win his first playoff game. I know he's not playing the best ball, but the Cardinals are playing the worst kind of football right now. I don't trust them at all. I don't really trust either of these teams, but I'll trust the one who's not in a complete downfall and at least had some sort of a winning streak that has been relevant the past month. I like that we got Von Miller more involved in the defense, more eyes off Aaron Donald. We'll see how Eric Weddle is going to be integrated in there, but I like this team getting ready to play a division foe that they're familiar with and going to be hungry to go back-to-back wins against them because you know it's not going to be the Niners that are going to beat. I like the Rams at minus three and a half. That is going to bring us to the end of our wild card predictions here this weekend. Before we get you guys out of here, our last segment of the episode, our prop lock and drop it. That's right. Where we tell you what prop to take this week in the wild card weekend, what game we think it is an absolute lock in the drop, the game that we want to stay away from. Wally, I will toss it to you. What is your PLD this week, bud? I am actually so upset with myself, Steven. Seven weeks, or six weeks, I excuse me. It would have been seven. I blew a six-week 2-0 PLD record. I was hot. I was, if I just told you it was going to rain, I'd look out and the stars would just disappear. The clouds would come up and rain would fall. That's how hot I've been. So unfortunately, I got to make a little bit of that money back today. So I'm going to actually go with a really, I guess, long odds prop for you, but I think you might like it. I am going with Hunter Renfro and CJ Uzama to score a touchdown in the first game on Saturday. Combining those together, the parlay comes out to be 809. So if you put $100 on a, a bet there, you get your $100 back and you get $809 more. The way those two guys have played this year, I wouldn't be shocked at all if it happens. And I do think you're going to see a little bit more high-flying pass offenses than we did the first time around. My luck, I'm going to actually say Kansas City minus 12 and a half. I hate myself. I already hear myself in a week saying I even knew it was stupid. And I still am like, how can the, can you at least just tell me how the Steelers team is supposed to stay within 14? Like It's going to take like Kansas City turning it over three or four times. But then, then I guess the drop, I, I kind of hinted at it earlier. I wasn't very confident. Philadelphia and Tampa Bay, that just seems weird. Strength on strength, those are always really hard to kind of gauge before you see a, a series or two. 
Last week, I wanted you to take the over on the sacks for TJ Watt. I'm assuming it was at one and a half or two to at least break the record. He just had the one to tie the record. But I came back a little bit with that lock of the week last week with the San Francisco money line. I know that was a little bit of plus money. So we broke even. We shake hands like gentlemen and we part ways. This week on my prop lock and drop it. I have a fun little prop. I said, this is my fuck it prop. Safety. Yes. In the Bills. Patriots game at plus 1,000. Why not? I'm just going to sprinkle like 30 bucks on there. Get a quick 300. Bada boom, bada bing. I can't be too upset. My lock of the week, I'm going back to back. San Francisco money line against the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas loves shooting themselves in the foot. They have not stopped doing it, like I said, since November. A month where they only won one game. And luckily they came this month, what, winning two or three in unimpressive form. I just cannot trust this Cowboys team and. You heard how highly I've been talking about this Niners team. How can I go against them after that? In my drop of the week, me and Walter are on the same path here. Tampa Bay minus eight and a half versus Philly. This game can either be an easy cover or Tom Brady just hangs up 20-point deficit in there. And now we look like complete idiots. But with that, that is going to wrap us up here for another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms at Instagram and Facebook at loss of down and of course twitter down underscore loss wally do you have any parting words for this week's episode yeah just actually wanted to share a quick stat from earlier because you snuck in a baker mayfield slight and i didn't have the opportunity or the speed to get in in time to to fight you back so i just want to point out to browns fans at home don't panic don't be a steven you have already picked up the fifth year option he's going to play next year and this is what you should feel good if you're on his side. The only two players in the history of the fifth-year option, quarterback-wise, to actually play on the fifth-year deal and not play on a new giant contract or get cut before that is Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. And both of those teams decided to move on after the fifth year, and both of them at least have done okay for themselves here in the last couple of years. One's won a freaking Super Bowl, And the other one has now all of a sudden a completely new offense in Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill has been born again. So don't panic. you got a lot of pieces there. If it doesn't work next year, you have a safety net. But I'm telling you, give give him a shot. One shot. And until next week, can't wait wait for Wally to bounce back. But both of us to continue putting money in your pockets. We are loss of down. And I really hope, I kind of hope I'm wrong on the San Francisco pick. I, I do not want to play the Niners as a Packers fan. I really want Dallas do you, to win. Do you have uh, San Francisco if they do win? Like, I don't have the NFC off the top of my head. Um, They would be the lowest seed. Okay, yeah. So, I guess they would. So, yeah, they would. Ew, yeah, and then you'd have to play Tampa right after. <laughs> like, no, I think I'm okay. I'm cool with playing Tampa at this point just because it's like a revenge game. And, That's uh, fair. We haven't played them. We already played San Fran this year. They're way better in a different football team. I don't want to deal with it. But at least it's not in San Francisco. Like, what, your house of horrors, it's been forever. Yes, yes, but I don't know. I have trust issues, Wally. Fair enough. I completely get that. Okay, go Packers, go Raiders. You know the deal. (laughs) 